Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast, a weekly show featuring B2B sales leaders and executives. Hosted by five-time CRO John McMahon and force management co-founder John Kaplan, the show goes behind the scenes with the people who have been there, done that, and seen the results. If you enjoy our content, please subscribe, rate, and review the show to help us reach more people. Revenue Builders is brought to you by Force Management. We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Revenue Builders podcast. I'm John McMahon, and I am joined by my esteemed colleague, John Kaplan. Big Mr. Kaplan, how are you? Johnny Mac, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Looking forward to this one today. It's going to be a good one. So today we're going to go deep on sales enablement with a special guest, J.P. Bolin, who is the VP of Global Sales at Rubrik. J.P. started his career in sales at Wallace Computer. Remember those guys? And then PTC. After PTC, it was a Primo and Blade Logic before he moved into the sales leadership ranks at BMC Software. After BMC, JP was the VP of North America at Dynamic Ops prior to the acquisition by VMware. After VMware, JP spent his time in the VP of East for ClearSlide. Then he was the VP of West for MongoDB and then the VP of sales at ThoughtSpot before he moved into his current role as a VP of global sales productivity at Rubrik. Hey, JP, how are you? I am well, John. Good to see you. Good to see see you, you, JP. John and John. I get both Johns. Tell us about the the picture in the back. Well, if yeah. If for people that can see it, if there's any Canadians in the audience, they'll know exactly what that is. That's a uh, a band named the Tragically Hip. That um, it's kind of like the Beatles in Canada. I don't know if that's insulting the Beatles or Canada, but um, <laughs> it's a huge band in Canada. They've been around forever. They were high school friends, and uh, the guy there with the salute, his name is Gord Downey. Um, unfortunate story with him. He died in 2000. And, God, I don't want to get this wrong. I think it was 18 um, of a glioblastoma. So this was oh, a picture from the final show um, in Kingston, Ontario, which is where they're from. The last night of the tour, after he was diagnosed, after he had surgeries, uh, they went back out on the last album they did and uh, toured one last time across Canada. So every other night they went from the West Coast to the East Coast in Kingston. They ended in Kingston, literally shut the country down. All, all watching the final show. So this is one of the most famous pictures of him just kind of saluting the crowd. So uh, mm-hmm. incredible guy. And for anyone that's listening, if you haven't heard of Tragically Hip or yet, you haven't heard of Gord Downey, it's, uh, it's a band to check out. You got 25 years of music to go to go dive into. So, yeah. When I think wow. of Tragically Hip, I think of Kaplan. He's freaking Tragically Hip. He's, <laughs> he's hip. He's definitely yeah. hip. Yeah. yeah. No, I can't okay. help... I, I can't help but just say, so you two on camera together, which by the way, I've never had for sure. The <laughs> first time I met the two of you was in yeah. Boston. It was 2007. Yeah, no I remember it. And it was the kickoff with Blade Logic, where that was the first time that I went through Command of the Message. John oh, taught it. Oh, right. I now yep. remember that one. Yeah. Yeah. Kaplan taught it. I'll just call him Kaplan. Kaplan taught it. And John, you... 
you walked around with the mic and scared the yeah. out of everyone. That always that always <laughs> got people to listen. Including me. I was like this. I was like, don't look, please, please. That always woke people up. Yes. Yeah. Were you yeah. the one, JP? Did you have a did your wife have a baby that week? We had a our newborn um good good memory, uh, the end of July. So I like okay. literally left my company uh, a week before she was born, and then that's right off, and then I started at Blade Logic. So I can always right. remember the dates because it's it's right around her birthday. So um, yeah, so she's sixteen now, and it's been sixteen, 16 years. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll it'll be sixteen years next week. So wow. I think it's awesome. Yep. Yeah. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. So JP, you sold yeah. you know mega deals in the enterprise. Now you're responsible at Rubric for enablement of the. Salesforce, and you do onboarding training, ongoing training, field training. So this may seem like a rhetorical question for the, but for the audience, you know, why is it so important to perform all three types of training, onboard, ongoing, and field training? Talk to us about that. Well, uh, you know, and I'm, it's funny talking to both of you about this, because I think I learned most of it from both of you guys and, and a bunch of other folks, but the single most important metric inside of a company is sales productivity. That's it. You got quota, you got a product, and you got how well you, that you do against the quota. So the variables and the and the leverage points that you have with that are obviously who you hire, because that's going to dictate a lot. But once you get them in, it's how quickly they cannot, they can actually understand the customer's problems, the things that customers are going through, the pains that they have, how well you differently address those problems um, and become productive with the skills and and with the execution. So the onboarding piece is, is pretty straightforward, which is how quickly can you get them to start to chew away at that quota? And then the ongoing piece is we're never done. Uh, I, I don't care if you're ramped or or you're ramping or you've been doing this for 10 years or 12 years, you got to always be getting better. So um, to continue to get more productivity out of those folks, uh, that's certainly necessary as well. So, you know, if you're not learning, like you're not, uh, I don't know what you're doing. So um, it's- Diet. It's the job of the leaders to get them up to speed and then certainly keep them here. Plus, you got a little nasty thing called attrition and you got a lot of options out there for folks. And if people aren't aren't really uh, doing well and having success and and, and competent, then they're going to look elsewhere, too, or they're going to get uh, their eyes kind of to you know look somewhere else. ABL, always be learning. But always. I think if people are learning and they're growing and they're starting to make money um, because of the enablement, then I don't think they're really going to leave the company either. I mean, where else are they going to go if they're really growing and really being developed over time? So it's so critical, you know, what you're doing there at Rubric. And like you said, if you're onboarding the reps and they're beating the ramp time, you do an ongoing training and it's starting to increase productivity. That really does decrease attrition in the sales force also. Why are you going to leave if you have success? I mean, if you're if you're having a bunch of success and like the people that you're working with and you're learning and you're growing. I mean, I don't know. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how you schedule that. So your rubrics in a, a growing company, you're constantly adding new sales reps every, probably every week. Yeah. Well, how do you schedule the onboarding training to, you know, get a whole bunch of people into one class? How do you do that? Yeah, it's, um, we went through a couple iterations here. Uh, I guess it's, it's a pretty interesting story or, uh, you know, thing that we did. Or I think it is. Um, so when I first got here, the onboarding consisted of uh, consisted of videos, and that's it, reason, just videos. Videos. There were a couple of phone calls here and there that would arbitrarily get kind of get new hires together and get people together. It was it was 
maybe not unfortunately consistent or, or, or inconsistent completely with other companies, but the reason for it was was COVID. So I think they were doing in-person boot camps, and then the shift from COVID made it change. Hey, we got to do Zoom. Not really sure how to do the Zoom thing. Can they sit on the calls? Zoom fatigue, all that. So they created the videos. The videos were okay. Some of them were better than others, but it's still a lot of videos. I remember when I got here, and just real quick, if I back up, because it's still weird to hear my name with enablement. Like it, it's a thing internally that uh, it, it's more of a, a little more of a joke now at this point, but I don't think of myself as enablement. So since college, I've had a quota and I've either been the salesperson or a sales rep going all the way through. So when Brian and I decided to, Brian McCarthy and I decided to take a shot and do this, I had to kind of get over that, that fact of enablement of like what I had in my mind, because the reality was most of the people I've ever learned from been salespeople, sales right. leaders. Um, I've been in companies, I've been, you know, very blessed to be companies that that uh, care a lot about that. And they develop the leaders to do that. Not everyone has that, but I did. So that's what I thought of as being taught and 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 learning was from people that were doing the job. So enablement to me always had that connotation of like, those are the people that didn't necessarily know how to do the job. But, and then you got a guy like Kaplan, you got Grant Wilson, and you got that. When I was exposed to that piece, I was like, oh, I kind of want to be like that. That's a really good thing. Um, so that's why uh, in almost any, any, any sales company, the sales reps always are in the training and they always say, Hey, can you bring somebody in here that's actually yeah. sold the product? Cause we want to talk to someone that listens to it. Yeah, 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 totally. And, and so I tell you that because when I got here and I saw the videos, my first thought was I'm going to go dive into the videos. I'm going to watch all these videos and get all, I got through like six minutes of the first one. I'm like, I'm out. Like I can't, there's no way that I could sit here and watch all these videos. So I knew I had to do something with it. Onboarding actually wasn't the first burning problem that we had that first summer. Um, it, it had more to do with, starting to help people get into thinking in terms of value selling. We had big events in the space that we're in where we all of a sudden had a product that that addressed a problem at the C-level. So we had to kind of get people's heads turned around that. We can talk about that later. But when I got around to onboarding and the videos, I didn't know what to do. So I created a boot camp. What do you do? We've all been to companies. We do boot camps um, and you get everyone not in a room, but we did it you know, virtually on a Zoom. And I did 95 people on a Zoom with me for a week, which... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, thanks. Yeah, that sounds, yeah. That sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was it was awful. I mean, it was awful for me to do. I like awful. to say it but, sounds great because we're on a podcast, but it sounds yeah, yeah. awful. But but the reality was, people actually liked it, and they yeah. liked you know why they liked it because it wasn't the videos. At least we got to have some interaction, interaction. Have some fun, right. and get to know each other. You know, so it was on the right subjects, all the stuff you can imagine. I and I did that. So let's talk about what you. What are the fundamentals that you do teach in the onboarding classes? For sure, man. Start at the beginning. The, the first thing that we do is, are you conversationally fluent on the problems we solve and what we do? Can you talk to your friends? Can you talk to your family members? Can you explain why you took this job at, at Rubberick? I mean, I, I kind of make a joke. And, you know, I, I don't even know what the company name is. What, what do you guys do? We try to get to that point of being able to talk about, conversationally talk about us and the problems that we solve and why what we do matters. And then we use customer stories that week to really kind of hone in on that. So that's the first week. Well, we let me stop you there. How do you test right. for somebody being conversationally fluent, as you put it, in whatever you want them to be? Yeah. Good at. How do you do that? We do it. Yeah, we, we do it. So um, we give them a series of material to kind of take a look at that we've curated that will be helpful. And then we actually get in that, we call it a class, but in that class, that foundational class, we actually built a walkthrough or a kind of a you know deck that actually takes through the story, takes someone through from the beginning to the end. And as we're doing it, we try it. So we give a shot to someone at the beginning. It's not that great. We come back to them 
After 10 minutes, we try it again. We come back to, and we create an environment that is interactive. It's welcoming. It's not, we're calling you out. You know, it's not that, that, that you stink. It's uh, give it a shot. And so we do it highly. Everything we do is, is highly interactive. Cameras are on. We're engaged with folks. Um, so that's how we you do. have a gold standard that you're kind of comparing them to. And we then certainly we have examples of it. You know, they're conversationally fluent. Yeah. And even in conversation fluid in the pieces of it. So they might not know it exactly end to end and it's perfect and the same for everyone. It's not it's not that kind of a recorded pitch. It's more of can you actually talk about the problems we solve in a way that could relate to someone? Could you actually explain how we differentiate in a way that relates? So we do it more in um, less like uh, just rote memory and more. Do you actually understand these pieces? Um, so if I go back real quick to the to the. Um, the boot camps. I did another, I did a second boot camp, and this is important. And I'll take you through the classes that we that we have. Um, after I got through the second boot camp, I thought, we got to change this. I, I, I feel like there's a better way to do it. And one of the things that I think about boot camps, and I experienced it, is it's a lot of information in a short period of time. Yes. One point in your in your evolution or in your you know experience. And for you to be able to take that, absorb it all. You don't really get time to practice. You, mm -hmm. Even if you try to do it in the room, you don't really get time with your leader to have additional coaching going on. And it's really hard to make it as real as possible. So I had this kind of crazy idea. A couple of us were talking about it. And, and uh, I thought, what if we could live for the, with the new hires for a quarter, for three months? What if we could spread it out? What if, uh, what if we take pieces of this and kind of deliver it? For some reason, I had a deconstructed burger in my head. I don't know from the nineties or something like that, where that was a fad or something, but what if I could pull apart these pieces of what we're trying to teach them and give it to them every week? I love give that in a highly interactive way, but just let them sit on one piece. And could I connect the dots with the leaders more? Could I spend more time with them? Could I let them work on it on a real deal, take the theory and go apply it into a situation, even if it's early to be able to come back and get feedback on it. So that's what we ended up doing. So well, when they, when they come back, then they're asking really pointed questions about how you do something, right? Because if it's just classroom and they haven't tried it on their own, they don't really know what to ask. Then they go out there and try it and realize, oof, that was a little yeah. difficult. So now yeah. they come back asking really pointed questions, right? Absolutely. And, and it allows us, when I really step back from what we've, what we're creating, not just see the person that's ramping, but see the people that are helping the people ramp. Yeah. So it provides another layer of visibility into who's coaching, who's actually helping them do it. So what we ended up doing, this is, I don't know if this will come across, maybe if people are listening to it, uh, I'm not going to show a slide, but if you can imagine, we created like a classroom style situation where we built nine classes out. So your question before about what do we teach? We have nine okay. individual classes. Our okay. theory was if we taught someone on a Monday, the subject, the class, they come on, no prep, cameras are on, it's highly interactive, the teach is highly interactive, we're pulling stuff out of people, we're all engaged in it. We teach that subject, give them a specific assignment to go apply it, work with their leader, come back on Friday, and we share examples and we validate. Nice. We create that structure and then apply each week in the nine. So we thought like, we had hundreds of people in the company, we had a lot of people joining on a consistent basis. So that becomes a math problem with how we actually roll it. You can't have cohorts go through. What if they're sick? What if they're not able to make it? There's like a whole set of, of struggles with that, right? So what we ended up doing is creating three tracks. 
So each track is made up of three classes. And every week, one of those classes occurs at 8 a.m. on Monday. And the validation is 8 a.m. on Friday. Every week, one of the classes from track two occurs live. And every week, one of the classes from track three occurs live. So my team has three classes going on on Monday, shotgun, 8 a.m., and three classes of validation. However you go through the system, you go through. Your cohort becomes kind of a, a, a movable item throughout the process. You're not always with the same people. And the coolest thing about it was, yes, it's for onboarding. Plenty of people in the field and leaders that had people going through the onboarding were, were like, hey, I got a rep that's been here for a while. Can they go back through <laughs> these classes? Right. And then, so it ended up being like this continuous learning system that's there for people to take advantage of. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a logistical nightmare on the back end. Yeah. Thank God we have the best uh, group of people on my team that are all about scheduling and tracking because we audit every class. We know if your camera's on, we know if you're talking. Like we, We're tracking that. So they are awesome at that and makes our life so much easier if there's issues or whatever. And then I have the front of the house people that are all sales leaders and sales reps that are on my team. That so Cap might have started with before you and me, and he might have started with, let's say, you know, qualification. Then I might have started week two. And when I start, I'm working on messaging. And then when you start the third week, you're working on something else. And then you start, then you revolve through those. Yeah. You, know, you revolve through each track, right. finish the track, and then you you move to the next track. And the nice. first, so to answer your question from, I don't know, 10 minutes ago, the, fir- the first track is consistent, is, uh, has this thing called save the data, which maybe we'll talk about later, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then PG, and it has something we call, John Kaplan, the value-based conversation. So Amen. everything that we have through this entire, I mean, like when people say to me, you're in command of the message and force management and all that stuff, I don't know, if you cut me open, I, I bleed. It's just who I am. It's just at, at this point, it's in me. So everything we do is littered with command of the message. The whole thing is command of the message. But we have a specific class just for the value-based conversation. So all of the components of what makes that up are learned and they're understood and the framework is out. And we have a pretty cool exercise that we do uh, to force people to actually go, go through that that week. So that's the first week. PG, save the data, value-based conversation. Then we move into the next track. The next track is new business meeting prep, messaging, and discovery. So we have a whole class on discovery. The third track is champions. Building and using the three whys, which is how we talk about our champion speaking about the value of our product. You could substitute the mantra in there if you want, but it's the, it's that that format that we have. And then the last class in that track is winning the stage is how we refer to the sales process. It's forget winning the process. It's winning each stage and using MedPick to know where you are and, and drive what action. So those are the nine classes that we've ended up um running and creating on a, on a, on a continuous basis. And it sounds like it's very interactive, maybe even some gaming that's involved to get people really excited. Yeah. I guess gaming is one way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, we definitely, it's definitely interactive and we want to hear from them and we want to hear from the leaders. And, um, we've gotten to the point too, of following up, you know, we do a good job now that it's not just me, um, following up with the reps, following up with, with the leaders and, uh, being able to dig in and see where they need help. Cause at the end of the day, I just want people to begin their journey right on the skill, but then let's be fair. Like we can only do so much if we start them off in the right path. 
it has to be picked up by the leaders and on a continuous basis, keep applying it. Um, and can we talk uh, about that? Can we yeah, talk about through. that for a second? Yeah. So what you've just described is an incredible application, probably one of the best that I've ever seen of really getting it, you know, getting knowledge and skills committed to the moment of truth because you're really, you know, getting these reps prepared. How do you keep the sales managers engaged and how do you help them coach and develop? Of those nine classes, um, is there a track for managers? Yeah, it's a great question. So separate from all of this, we have sales leader training where we focus on recruiting and coaching. So that is its own it, its own item that's incremental. A new sales leader coming into the org needs to go through this, this program because if they're not capable of doing the yeah. actual work, then how the hell are they going to coach it? Right. So, yeah. and them doing it, the coolest thing for a leader to do, and I wish I had this when I was doing it, they take a class, say they take PG. Why wouldn't you go pick one of the reps on your new team that you're trying to get to know, pick one of their accounts they're not in and go do the work of PG for them, bring them along for that ride. And then you get to know them. They get to know awesome. that you're actually capable of doing the work. So that's definitely one way. Now, I will tell you, we've made a ton of mistakes with this whole thing. Like when I first was dreaming it up, I lost a lot of sleep, more sleep than thinking about this call. Like I, I, I lost a ton of sleep because I thought it was going to be like completely go off the rails. We had so many people, what was going to happen with scheduling, calendaring, what happened? Like there were so many ways for this thing to get screwed up. And I thought like, I don't want that to happen. So uh, when we actually started, one big mistake I had was I didn't introduce this program, as dumb as it might sound now, to everyone coming on. Like I let other folks kind of explain it versus me. So what we changed that to after recognizing that was a problem, like people didn't really know what they were, what we were doing because this was so different. Every Tuesday morning at 8 a.m., they saw my face. They got their computer on Monday, said hi to IT, and they saw me on Tuesday morning saying, welcome, here's what we're going to be doing. And here's the next three months of your life when it comes to, to our team. Fantastic. Check the box. Crush that one. Then I realized maybe like four or five months later, man, the leaders aren't, they said they were into it, but I don't think the leaders are really digging in and they're not focusing on it as much as I wanted them to. Hmm. Maybe I should do a call with them. So then the second big ad, big ad that I made was the Thursday morning before a new hire started. I had every leader of those new hires on a call and I never missed those calls. So it was me and me and the the eight leaders. And I was like, Hey, you realize what they're signing up for, right? I know we talked about it a couple months ago. This is what they're doing. This is what your responsibility is. This is the expectation on you. This is your job to rant them. We talk a little bit about skill will and talk about them being high will. It's the highest will you're going to have. Maybe the lowest skill that they're going to have. Hopefully your job is to get them up to that four quadrant, to that high will, high skill before they slip backwards. If they slip, it's that's on you. And so we have that honest conversation about like, this is a priority. We tell them it's priority. It's priority for you. And so that was a big thing that we didn't, we didn't do early. And now we do it pretty consistently. Um, and we've done even more things now with the leaders where we send them. I mean, first of all, they have emails saying exactly what their person went through, exactly how to coach them. We give them guidance on that. Now we yeah. send out a, a little form to them to say, did you coach your rep? I just went through with my team this morning. Every Friday, me and my team go through all of the submissions. Did you coach your rep this week? What was the strength? What was the problem? What's the one coaching you know, action that you're going to do to go forward? 
And, um, and we look at that and compare it. And then we reach out to the leader, we reach out to the rep. So we're trying our best as a very small team to touch as many people out in the field, you know, as possible. So, so JP, let's dig in a little deeper. Like when they are ramping, what, what have you found is the skill set that's most lacking for a ramping rep? Depends on where they come from. So, uh, and I know that's a kind of a loaded, loaded answer, but um, if they're, because you want to have them all come from places where they're incredible at PG. Um, if they're not incredible at P, you know, PG, if it's not the normal thing that they're used to, that's that's a big area of struggle because it's a it's a big difference, um, you know, that they have. If they're not from the space, they certainly have challenges around the products and the nuances and the competitors and the things that they're going to find when they walk in the door. Um, those seem to be kind of, the big buckets of it, it fits into those different camps. Um, I think where they struggle when they come in is, is, you know, finding paint. It's, it's actually putting the pieces together in a way that you can actually find pain that is worth solving that we can solve. So discovery. Discovery the big one yeah. that they struggle. Discovery. Yeah. And you know what that thing says in the back, which is don't have STD. And I don't know if you refer to it as STD cap, but um, seller deficit <laughs> disorder. If you're, if, if you're listening, don't go in. To a situation without knowing something about the company, not being willing to listen, not being prepared to listen. Um, so the idea of a and what's the skill inside discovery that they most need? So let's say they truly understand yeah. the product. You got them to understand rubric cold. They they know the customer success stories, that type of stuff. What in discovery are they lacking as a, as a skill? I think the skill generally find. I think I don't think it's it's this is on Rubik. This this happens everywhere. Happens absolutely everywhere. I I think about uh, every place that I've gone. I want to know what their situation is today that I'm walking into. I want to know what they're struggling with, what their challenges are. I want to know so what about those challenges. I want to know their options. What other things are they trying to do to fix those things? And then I need to relate what we do and understand the difference between that. So to me, if like gaining empathy on the situation that's happening behind the walls of the place that you're going to go walk into, they're living it. You're not living it. And if you're coming, especially as a seller from the outside, you're used to selling a product. Hopefully you did that before. But in the new place, I don't know those things. Like I don't I don't truly have empathy or understand the details about what's happening on the other side. The people that I'm going to go talk to, the different personas that I'm going to speak to. And I think so you think part of it is empathy. You think. Is part of it listening? Is part of it questioning? Yeah, I mean, 100%. I mean, preparing, preparing questions, actually taking the time to think through the questions, what the answers might be, what the objections might be, what you're going to answer, who's going to answer them. Um, genuinely being curious. I think now, when, when they've gone in from your training, you probably have already told them, okay, these are the use cases. These are the personas. These are the pain points. Yeah. So now they have that knowledge. So now it has to really be, I'm just thinking this through. It has to be because they're, they don't have the empathy. They're not really questioning and truly listening to what the customer has to say. Yeah. And one of the ways that we're trying to tackle that, um, cause it's a, a hard one. I mean, there's a lot of pieces that we have. We have an incredible value framework that's full of a lot of great stuff that has a lot of content, which is awesome. Um, we did this thing. Uh, if you're okay, I'll, I can talk a little bit about this because I think it, it hits towards the empathy piece and it, it helps with discovery if you actually do it right. Um, yeah. When I got here, 
I, I all the way back in the beginning of the call, I said that um, there was a situation going on in our space. Like we sell a product that helps protect data. And uh, fortunately, there's ransomware attacks everywhere where the data is at risk. And we're kind of your last your last ability to bring bring the company back. And we do it in a highly intelligent way. It's, it's really cool. But when I got here, that wasn't necessarily the biggest focus of selling it. It was more um, on normal kind of refresh cycles about backup and about hardware and about storage, where they were looking for more efficient ways to do that. And we we kill it in that as well. But we had to shift people's brains to it's not just used to joke, it's not like the Geico Gecko, like save you 30% of your car insurance. It's actually saving the souls of companies. So we did this thing that first summer called Change the Game. We just called it Change the Game. We had little mock scenarios in there and um, uh, and, and we had a bunch of fun with it. Um, and everyone was jazzed up. And this was early in my time doing this. It was the first summer. Uh, and I started reaching out to reps because they were all fired up. That was awesome. We love the training. It was, woo, it was, you know, it was all entertaining. And then I would follow up with folks and not everyone was doing it. And I was like, why are you not doing it? Why are you not getting it? Why are you not following through on it? And what I found was there was a trend of people, reps and SEs that were all over changing the way that they were doing it. And the reason was they had someone that was hit. They had a customer hit. They had an SE knew a customer that was hit. When I say hit, I mean with a ransomware attack. Mm -hmm. When an attack happens, it is is chaos. It's not just about backing up your data. There's so many things that go into play and everything starts. So what struck me was, man, if I could put the reps in the middle of an attack and have them actually experience what's going on across these different personas, that's going to help. It's like, it's like Kaplan. I still remember this story from years and years ago when you're talking about uh, being the dumbest sales rep when you joined PTC and you were so great when you were dumb because you were asking a bunch of questions because you were yep. learning about all that stuff. And as soon as yep. you started getting all the product knowledge in your head, you got too smart. Yeah. yeah. And it was just a different, so that always stuck with me. And so I ended up going to a guy uh, that I helped bring over here that was actually my champion, John McMahon at uh, when we were at Blade Logic and at BMC, he was at Deutsche Bank. Um, and I got to be friends with him for years and I brought him over and he's a, he was in the cybersecurity team at Bank of New York Mellon. And so he was from the customer and I went to him and I said, Hey John, I got to get, we, we got to get, people to live this. How can we do it? So he's like, ah, I'll, I'll go off and you know, you know, give something a shot. So he went and wrote a little story about a fake company that would go through an attack. In a month and a half before SCO, that first SCO that I was here for, we ended up creating this thing where we actually wrote a screenplay basically. And the screenplay was with the sole purpose of helping our salespeople experience what it's like with different personas when an attack goes down. And we ended up calling it Save the Data. And what we did at SCO for four hours, and this was a, probably the first big risk that we took, like it could have been a colossal failure, but we had everyone at tables. And if you've ever seen like a TV show when they're uh, you know, reading a script for the first time, there's like a table read where they have, you know, they're all playing their character, but they're, they're sitting around a table. That's what we did. We had all the tables, table read the characters by scene when something goes down. So it was a, it was a retailer. So you know, the Friday before, uh, you know, or the Sunday before Good Friday or the Sunday before Black Friday, not Good Friday, um, the attack happens and then everything ensues. So, so to put it in language, it was all about the current state, the consequence of being in that current state. And if they had these required capabilities, they wouldn't be in that state. And that's what every scene was about. And we broke that down. So everyone went through it. People loved it. They thought it was great. And then coming out of it, people were like, wow, 
every partner needs to see this because we sell through partners as well. They need to be educated that way. Okay, let's get the partner people, our people, to go run this as a workshop for the partners. Customers need to see it. Oh, customers aren't going to sit there and read read a script. And we had videos. We had we had some fun with the production and everything like that. Um, if you asked me if I, if I was going to be doing that three years ago, I'd say no. But customers won't read this. Yeah, they will. We've had hundreds of these events over the last couple of years where customers come and they read this. And then the discussions that go on between the scenes about what they're really living, what they're really going through. We've actually had customers say to the end, I, I kind of crack up. If you're a, a salesperson, you might laugh at this. Um, I had people come to me and say, I think we need to add a pitch to it. I don't think they're getting what we do. And I'm like, really? What, what, what gives you that? What gives you that idea? And they're like, because at the end, they ask, do you guys solve this stuff? How, how, what do you do? What does Rupert do? And I'm like, my God, like, can you just stop for a second? Like, that's the greatest thing in the world. You're right. saying admitting this is a problem. And then they're asking us if we solve that. And so that that was uh, so anyway. So so save the data became this thing, and that's where that's why it's track one, week one of everyone that comes into the company experiences and reads save the data, so they can hopefully understand a little bit more about the personas um, that uh, that they're going to be calling into and what some of the things are that they're dealing with. Hey Johnny, can I summarize that for a second? What we just heard hopefully. because I think it's really really powerful. Um, JP is constantly talking to us about knowledge and skills. So great companies provide knowledge and skills to their, uh, good companies provide knowledge and skills to their organizations. Great companies uh, break those knowledge and skills down into real life uh, applications. Um, it, what you just described, JP, is you help the seller stand in the moment of the customer's pain with real life scenarios. And I'm assuming you were, you know, helping them with the answers to the four essential questions. What problems do we solve? How specifically do we solve them? How do we solve them differently or better? Or where, and where have we done it before? That's the knowledge, but the skills are um, breaking it down and making it applicable. So I know you're probably going to hit it. Um, I just wanted to do that quick summary. Um, I, I'd love to talk to you about the winning the stage piece. Yeah. Um, because I heard Brian McCarthy, your CRO say, yeah, we don't sell software. We teach champions how to sell the software. Yeah. Uh, and so there's this concept of winning the stage and Johnny Mac for our listeners, for our leaders out there that are running companies, um, JP and his team, the next big step to make them a great company is to commit it to a sales process. So there's knowledge and skills we teach you, but how do we commit it to a sales process? And it actually manifests itself in a sales process. And it uh, it uh, moves into momentum for success. So you get the automatic belief. Very few companies do that. So JP, right. I know you guys are excellent at that. Would you mind telling us how you how you break that down into uh, the winning the stage philosophy. Yeah. It's Brian's, first of all, like the, the phrase winning the stage is Brian McCarthy, who I think is one of the 
the the elite CROs on the planet right now for sure. Yes, uh, no doubt, probably, probably, and then some. But the winning the stage, the thing I love about it is, I think we've all seen the sales process. We've all seen versions of it. It, it has sometimes it has a, an incredible set of actions and things that are deliverables. It's all great. What always stuck with me, which is why this just was so easy to to pick up, was how do we get out of the stage? Yeah. We're like, I got the beginning, I got the end. Yeah. I'm creative. I'm different depending on the customer. There's humans on the other side. We're going to have to use our, our heads um, to get through. But I want to know, so we can all speak the same language. What is it that gets into it and how do you get out of it? And so the, the concept of winning, it also breaks it down into something consumable. So we yeah. can talk about the different pieces. So what we did, and this isn't, there's no gospel on it. It has to be exactly right or wrong. There was a sales process we got here. We sort of worked with it, but we took the complexity a bit out of it for a second and just broke it down to its raw form. So we agreed, and this was with, this is important. This was with a leadership team that we agreed on what these things were. This wasn't dictated. It wasn't out of a book. It wasn't, hey, we did this before, so we're going to do it again. Like, this is all of ours. Do we all agree this is what we're going to do? So to get into an op was the first piece we had to define. And, uh, you know, PG is not a stage. Like, it doesn't actually exist in clarion art. That's just you're doing PG. But we all agreed to if there's no mutually identified pain, mutually identified pain that's attached to a problem in the business that's worth solving with someone who we think is willing to step up and solve it, that has influence inside the org, hopefully we're going to figure out down the road it's with the economic buyer, but let's just call that person a potential champion. They have those two things. And then there's a calendar next step. So at a bare minimum, can we all agree this is what we need to have and be able to see in order to get it to be a live opportunity. And so that was the first piece. So winning the PG stage, hang on a second. Sorry about that. I got a, oh yeah, this is pretty funny. That's one of three dogs. That's Gordon. That, that just, <laughs> and, and yes, that's Gordon that's after Gordon Downey. That's, after Gordon Downey. That, that's how big of a fan I am. Oh. Um, so, so anyway, so that's the first piece is to get it to be a stage one up. Inside of stage one, what we start thinking about and talking about is, man, do we know all the players? Who are the key stakeholders that we want to get to? Who are all the potential people that we might need to have part of this process? And that also helps us figure out the person I thought was my potential champion. Is that the strongest possible potential champion? Could I get three more potential champions? So getting that, locking down and starting to influence criteria, it starts right at the beginning. And so if I'm not really locking into the criteria and making sure I'm starting to chip away and, and, and really influence those pieces, that's the second piece. Can I see evidence of that? And all these things, there's evidence. I can look for evidence of all of it. The third one is, am I quantifying the pain? Am I quantifying the outcomes? Am I starting to put some sort of size and scope and priority to this and urgency to this with numbers? And then the last piece is that person I thought was my potential champion what are we doing here? Are we developing? Are we testing? Are we really, are, do we know that this is the horse or horses that, that we're going to get on? And so that's what we want to try to accomplish in stage one. Stage two is I want to take those pieces with that champion and put together a plan as to what do we need to do to win the deal? I mean, we sell a technology, a software product, not, maybe not everyone does, but what is the process? Who are the people? How are you going to measure it? How are we going to go through that technically to make sure that we're going to get a win, whatever we define the win as for that validation? And then what's the business side? What's the financial conversation? Because to get out of stage two, I want to go sit down with who we think the economic buyer is, 
see if they're actually the economic buyer and also confirm with them, hey, this is what we're going to validate. Are we missing anything? Are we missing any people? Are we missing any steps in this? Is this the right way to, to look at it, to prioritize it? And then financially, I know we're not negotiating, but this is about what it is. This is about the savings. This is about the risk reduction. Is this going to be a priority in this time frame? that if we're successful, we have an agreement to move forward? Again, we're not in negotiation. We're not in procurement yet, potentially, but are we on the same page with this? So I'll stop there for a second because from PG to stage one to stage two, when we teach it and we draw it up, it's funny how three, four, and five, you're kind of sliding down the dinosaur tail if you do it right. Yeah, and right. all the work is in the beginning. And I, and I normally it's step all in the beginning. Classes. It's all in yeah. the beginning. Yeah. And in I'm fact, like, in your stage one, where I think most people go sideways, is they t- have one person that speaks to them. So they don't go wide and high looking for other potential right. champions. That's one piece where I think they go wrong. The second piece is I think a lot of people have a really difficult time trying to quantify the pain. Really difficult. Really difficult. And if you can't do that, the real champion isn't going to emerge. You don't have anything to add. Yeah, it's... Um, no, I'm just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just I mean, it's, it's, it's dead on. I mean, it's like... And and I think part of the reason and that's that, why so much yeah. going back to your point, so much of it is that first stage, that first stage. If you get you don't do that right, you know, you don't find the real champion. You don't really quantify the pain. You can keep marching down the process, but good luck. Johnny, you mind if I summarize quick second there? Because we're <laughs> like, I'm going to bring you everywhere because I, I saw I talk way too long. And <laughs> no, 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 no. This is really important. Um, Rubric does this so well, and we'll put the um, we'll put the podcast with Brian McCarthy in the show notes. Yeah, um, we should. Where he did he, descri- he did an unbelievable job, and JP and his team do this so well. If you remember, Johnny, um, uh, Brian said that when they it when they win stage two, there's an eighty three percent probability we win the deal. I'm sure. So if that that goes directly to what you guys are talking about with the upfront level of knowledge and skill that you need in the sales process um, of articulating differentiation, um, influencing decision criteria, identifying and building champions and testing champions. Um, when you're doing all that up front, it's like you described to JP, the back of a dinosaur or what have you. Yeah, That's I'm very, very powerful. Going, I'm going back into I'm super old. <laughs> all right. That was the best. What I love about you guys is you measure it and it's yeah. not it's that's the difference between good and great companies. And so, John, you asked earlier, John McMahon, you, you asked about challenges and where people struggle. And I mean, it's, it's yeah, and awesome. I don't mean just the ramping reps. Even no, everyone, it's, it's yeah, in the they all stage. they all struggle there. In when stage it, one and two. If there's a stage three deal that's sitting, if there's a stage two or a stage four deal that's sitting, I promise you, the answers are in all the way back. Yeah, in stage fact, one. Yeah, you give me a stage four deal right now that's that's struggling. My first question is going to be, how did it start? Like the, how how did we get in? Yeah. What was our original point of view? What was yes. the who were the original people we talked to? What was that pain? Because too often I think we we try to diagnose something that that's not where you should be digging. You should be digging as to how it got there, and that's when you're going to find something you can actually go impact. Yeah, so that goes back to like one of the three whys. Why do they have to buy? I mean, I find that if they can't answer that one question, you know, it's the deal's going nowhere. You said have to buy, and uh, it's funny. I I don't think I ever heard anyone else say have to buy. I forget where on one of the one of the things you said, or maybe it was just in a it, it you know it was in a QBR or something. But 
why anything? I don't really like, a, I don't like that. I think why they have to do have, something. Have to buy. Right. Yeah. And it, the connection between that, just for a second, for anyone that knows command of the message or just knows the logic behind it, the way I explain that and the connection point, why they have to do something, the answer to that is the conversation you're having about their current state and about the consequence and about the delta, the difference between that and the future state and the outcomes. If that is the conversation, if someone asks, hey, what's this project about? What they're asking for is, why do we have to do this? And what the answer that they need is, because we're in this position and here's the impact if we stay here and here's where we want to get to and here's the impact if we get there. And that, so that's the, the conversation and that's the way that the champion is probably actually going to talk about it in terms of, hey, yeah. John, I got to do this and here's why. But that's what yeah. we got to develop and, and get him to be able to sell for us that way. So, yeah, so right. JP, you, you and Brian must be measuring the conversion rates between different stages, even different steps within a stage to see yep. where people are going wrong so that mm -hmm. you can then put some sort of enablement class together to try to help them get over those hurdles. Yep. And, and are you finding... I mean, maybe this is rhetorical, but are you finding that it mostly is happening in stage one and two? So uh, I'm, I, I'm not going to give you numbers because I. No, you don't have to. I mean, in general, yeah. terms, yeah, 83 I'm, I'm, I'm neither this could be any or company. denying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this could be any company. This couldn't. I mean, it's not just rubric. This happens. Every no, no, no. Here's the interesting thing, John. What we found, we looked at the last, definitely last quarter, and it's, but it's a bit of a trend. The, di the biggest uh, lack of difference. That's not even the right way to say it. It's like the, the worst difference between conversions out of guess where it's between one and two yeah right one yeah. and two becomes makes sense. easily becomes this morphed thing where you're not and so one of Brian the things called we, it friction yeah we want friction we call it friction friction into the system uh earlier and how do we and so uh we talk about an eb go no go which definitely generates friction with with some folks um we're actually going to put in a champion go no go and we're doing it inside of one to two. And the reason for that is, are we able to, to really hone in on, we're not leaving one unless we feel like multiple people have had eyes on this person being our champion. And if we don't, and the reality is if we don't have the stuff that leads up to that, we're probably not going to have someone that's willing to fight for us. So that's where we're, we, we have seen not as much of a Delta as we want between one and two. And that's where we're going to go teach that hone in on that, like, go drive that as a way to, because we know we have an incredible SE team, like a lot of companies do. We have probably the best yeah. I've seen. And when they get in there and they go execute, we win. Sure. So sure. it's a matter of setting it up properly, which to be honest is, that, that's on Now, that's based honest. upon what you were talking about, stage one and the conversion to stage two, yeah, and knowing that that's a difficulty, not just for a rubric, but any company, how has that affected the interviewing process when you're interviewing reps. Yeah. Do you, I do wish you, I could say it's, it's, there's, it's, there's a lot of your feedback on conversion rates and where yeah. sales reps are weak or skill set or knowledge. Does that feed back into recruiting and interviewing? Yes, it definitely does. Um, we haven't, I can't say that we've changed the way we're interviewing or exactly changed the profile based on that particular thing, but for sure, like the desire to have PG, the, the desire to have people that can do personal PG definitely is directly uh, um, put into the recruiting process and to the skills that we're trying to get good at, not just identifying on paper, but how do we actually go through that process and have them explain 
and see evidence of, uh, you know, of those skills during the recruiting process. So yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. One of the, hey, uh, about, yeah, go ahead, Johnny. Oh, sorry. Um, one of the things we blew over, um, that I didn't, didn't want to blow it over. We, we're, we're coming back. There's lots of stuff no. that's laying on the ground here. We're going <laughs> to go back and pick some stuff up. This one's huge for me because I just want to make sure we get it in yeah. the conversation. Um, and why rubric is so what's such an outstanding company. When we talked about those four essential questions, JP, that you got instilled into the company, what problems do we solve? How specifically do we solve them? How do we solve them differently or better than anybody else? And where have we done it before? Yeah. When market conditions change, mm. the whole and the whole company looks at the market that way and they look at what we do for a living that way. You kind of you just said it. You said, hey, when you started with the company, then all of a sudden it went from backup to security. That was a massive shift in the marketplace, massive customer problem, move from backup to backup and security. And because you guys had, the, my opinion, because you had the ability and you had an organization set up with common language, you just filled in the answers to those four essential questions now for security and you guys crushed it. You absolutely crushed it. So I didn't want to blow over that. If people are listening, this is the gift that keeps on giving when you have an organization set up this way to look at a marketplace this way, uh, when things change in the marketplace, you just go and add more information to the buckets. Yeah. Is that fair? Uh, more than fair. And you know, I'll give you an example. We just bought a company, um, you know, a couple of months back and uh, the company's going to be, it's in our world, but our world's expanding. And yeah. as our platform expands, we're going to start touching other areas. The ability to bring that in when it's, set and when it when we under it's the in the into the same framework yeah um, just give me the answers to those four questions i'm good to one go. example and then yeah. john you'll, you'll appreciate this new products new launches yeah. new new things that need to go out to the field it's like a broken record at this point if they call me uh before anything's going out anywhere what what problems are we solving well yeah. and and how do we do it? Okay, great. How do we do it better? Do we have any proof that it works? I we go through that in a um all the way back up the chain as far as coming in. And I, I think it's a big deal because it it's not easy to do that. Like when I first got here, the first I didn't realize it was part of the job, but the first three or four months, I think I I didn't make a ton of friends in other parts of the you know, the company that was used to yeah. just pushing stuff out to the field. But I know my instinct was as a rep. It's too much stuff. Like you're just throwing it at me yeah, and I'm not going to be right. able to consume it. And I don't think that way. So I know it's the most important thing to you, but to them, they got a hundred things going on. We have to be able to give it to them in a way that they can Consumable. kind of feather it in. Yeah. And it's like, so give me these pieces and I'll handle working it into, it might be a bullet point inside of what they're already talking about. But too many times I think, uh, and, and maybe this is an advantage of having, you know, someone with the background in this role, because it's not a, I'm not being measured on how many projects I do and how many programs I get out. And we killed it because we created the deck and we sent it out and it's on the web. And it's, you know, that's not what we're doing. We're, if people aren't consuming what we're doing, it's then I'm not doing my job. So it's, uh, so that's, it's where it's making its way certainly to adjust to the external, to adjust to something we do. And then actually just the normal course of business to try to make sure that we're all speaking the same language and following a framework, which is, um, which is important. So Donnie, back, do you remember up. the, go, yeah, ahead, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to just to cap, just to cap off on this is uh, one of my favorite stories you told me is when I'm not going to give away the company, but you're a CRO on the company and 
product stood up at the, you know, and there's uh, board members and it's, you know, forecasting for the company. And, yeah. and the CEO looked at you and said, you know, after they were done presenting the new products, he, uh, he said, uh, okay, what are you signing up for McMahon? And you said nothing. Do you remember that? <laughs> and, and you said, if, if I didn't you can't make any tell friends me, either. No, but it was, it was pretty cool because I got a phone call right after that from the head of products that said, can you please teach me the language of sales? And what he meant was, is that what Johnny said was, if you can't tell me what problems we're solving, if you can't tell me how we're solving them or how we're solving them differently or better and where we've done it before, what customers we're going to stand up to go get proof points, then I've got nothing to sell. And I thought that was just, uh, it was just, it's, it's incredible. And then the next well, there's phone call a lot I got. products out there that I call their solutions looking for problems, but that's they right. don't really solve anything. That's know? right. That's it's a right. great technology. So, it's a great technology, but I can't sell it because it doesn't solve any problems. For our listeners out there, though, if you're running a company uh, and you're influencing a company, you if you don't have that makeup, if you don't have that mindset, it's going to be very, very difficult to... Um, change course, it's going to be very, very difficult to get it in the moment of truth for sellers to show up at that, you know, in a three foot conversation with a customer. Sorry about that, JP. Some of this stuff is so cool too, by the way, they just don't even know how cool it is. So if some of this stuff's coming in, we can simplify it and actually make it way more effective. I I think I've gotten pretty good at taking people's four slides and turning them into a bullet. They don't like it, but I'm like, that's what it is. Like it's, it's, and it's way easier if someone can actually They'll remember that one. Like, and I, I kind of joke, I'm like, I'm trying to get them to remember the four bullets to get out of PG to go into stage one. You're going to give yeah. them this, this giant thing. They're just not going to talk about it. You could feel yeah. good, but it's not, it's not going to end up in an impact. And that's, so if you could do it right, it's, uh, it's pretty powerful. But I want to go back sick. and pick up a piece here, JP. So yeah, you, you talked about that you're training, which I think this is so important. And a lot of companies don't do this. You train and reps that go into accounts with a compelling point of view. Yep. Can you talk a little bit about that for the audience? Because I think a lot of reps just go into these accounts ice cold. They had an opportunity. They weren't prepared. And they blew that opportunity because because they weren't prepared. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the POV is like, to me, is just power. It's absolute power if you do it right. Um, we teach it off of the back of that seller deficit disorder concept. Um, and we talk about it in terms that POV can be used in a lot of ways, right? Proof of value, proof of whatever. This this is a point of view. So POV to us in this context is a point of view. It is as basic as uh, I think you should be talking to me because. And the way that I'm going to do that is I'm going to do research on the account. I'm going to get to know how they make money, who they compete with, what their challenges are, what news they're giving about their products how they're organized. I'm going to know about the company that I'm calling you to. This is the place I could potentially make money. I'm going to do research on the executives. I'm going to do research on a key people that I think I might want to get a hold of. I'm going to look for them in the news. I'm going to, and this isn't rocket science, right? But I'm, I'm going to do that work and put the effort in. I'm going to know something about the industry. Part of my point of view is what are the challenges facing healthcare versus finance versus what are the similarities across those and what are specific to them? If I could be knowledgeable about the industry challenges, the industry trends, I'm going to be, I'm going to have some good information as well. And then the last piece to me is what customer can I relate it to? And it's funny, we're having a conversation this morning with my team about this uh, in one of the classes, customer stories. 
doesn't have to be because you're calling on Diageo, you want to talk to Bacardi or use a Bacardi example. It's got to be a lot more aligned to, is it related to a challenge they have? Is it related to some sort of business problem? Is it related to something we've been able to quantify? Is it related to to required capability, to something that's specific in the technology that was lacking that we solve for? If I intentionally understand the use of that customer story and put it in context with the rest of the point of view, I now have some pretty good power. Like they need to take a meeting with me. They don't know it yet, but like I have, I have an idea coming in. So from that point of view, we teach it in the PG class and we have them do one account that week. One account, not, don't give me a territory plan. Don't give me a PG plan. Don't give me a giant. We actually have a picture really of, John, you'll, John, you'll enjoy this. We, we have a picture on the slide and it's a, it's a Jeep stuck in the mud. As a don't get stuck in the PG plan mud. Don't get stuck in the analytics. Don't get stuck in, I have to research all this stuff. And then the picture right next to it is a picture of Scotty Stevens laying out uh, Paul Correa back in whatever the, the yeah. playoffs were. And I think back to this guy, Jim Drill. So both of you know Jim Drill. So Very Jim well. Drill was, uh, he was, I'll never forget this in my life. He he was running North America BMC. I was a first line leader. I was, I was relatively new at it. My team was back in the bullpen. We were in, you know, that office in New York. And Drill went back there during one of the PG days. And I guess he saw everyone with their heads down in their spreadsheets and they're filling everything out. And, you know, Jim is like a pretty, you know, he's a pretty plain Correct. guy. And like, he's like, go, he, go. Can, he can be very loud. Very yeah. Loud. So he comes back to me and he goes, what the is your team doing up there? And I'm like, ah, they're doing research. He's like, Jesus Christ, just go hit somebody. Go hit somebody. You got it up. <laughs> go hit it. And he's like, I love hockey because there's boards. There's no out of bounds. You're just going to go hit, get hit. But th- that stuck with me so much that it's like we overdo everything. Right. If you find a nugget, and this is what we teach in the class, the way we break it down in the class is we go take a fake, not a fake company, we take a real company that we're not in, and we, we've done the work. So we're like, let's go do some research on the account. In two minutes, we find something. We just found a nugget. How can we use that nugget to go hit somebody right now? And then if I find something about the executive, how can I find... Take, take that nugget, combine it with that nugget, go hit somebody. So we try to make it so you're not paralysis, just sitting there working on PG plans and trying to make spreadsheets for people. It doesn't matter. So the point of view is so important from personal PG. And the other thing it does is if you want a partner to help you, if you want someone else in the company to help you, if you want, I, the way we start that class is a picture of Brian McCarthy on the slide, giant picture of Brian. And I say like, close your eyes. Okay, open them up. Your phone rings. It's Brian McCarthy right now. And you could probably substitute you. That would be a whole stuff. People wouldn't answer. But like you picture, <laughs> pick up the phone with Brian. Oh, make me answer. Mm. You pick up the phone, it's Brian. And Brian says, hey, great news. Lucky day. I have a free half hour right now to do PG for you. What's an account you're not in? Prepare me and I'll go do PG for you. Yeah. What would you do in that moment? And that, that's what we ask everyone. Good question. Great question. So what we're going to do this week is get to the point on Friday where you're begging Brian McCarthy to call you because you can't wait to tell Brian why this white space account that you think we should be in, you're going to help him prepare and go do the work. And we've had Jesse Green, who's now, you know, running North America. He's literally put that out on Slack channels. I have a free half hour between three and three 30 hit me with who you want me to do, which is pretty impressive. Is if you do that, JP, tell people why this is so important when you walk into an account that you have a compelling point of view. 
What does it do when I'm in an account? I walk in, I got a compelling point of view. What happens? What are the dynamics? Why earn, is that so important? You earn, immediately earn respect from the person on the other side of the table. But the thing it did for me when I learned how to do it was it gave me confidence. Like I was able to walk in knowing, hey man, I've done some work. I've done some stuff. I have some questions about the things I couldn't read. And I never really had that dynamic go south. I had it be someone that maybe eventually they get a little tired of the questions. They want to learn more about you, which is fine. That dance begins. But in the beginning, it gives me confidence. And it absolutely puts them in a different position when they see that you've done a little bit of work. You've taken the time. You've put some effort into getting to know them a little bit. They're more open. They give you answers to things. They help you. Right. They, that's what it is. It also, they can also tell you, well, you're very accurate there or you're a little off. But what, yeah. what happens, is the dynamic that I've seen is that you've opened the conversation up yeah. to talking about this pain. And they'll start to give you immediate feedback on whether or not you're right or wrong or just a little off. And then that evolves into other pains that you can pull. Versus walking in the account absolutely cold. That's really a lot more difficult. And the POV turns into, we, we just call it custom slide. It's been used over the years of value pyramid. You call it whatever you want. I, I just like to call it a, a custom slide because you can, whatever format you, know, you want to use is fine. The POV, this is what we teach in the MBM prep class. The POV becomes your custom slide. It's just the customer version of it that then you can build a discovery flow off of the stuff that, you're taking a shot out in the custom slide and that starts to fill the rooms in the house to use a, to use a, you know, a Kaplan metaphor, but like to actually start to gather the information about more details about their current state, about where they want to get to, about what it means when you get there, about the requirements. And you can start filling in the things that you do and the things you've done it before. Cause if you're armed with a custom slide with this based on a POV, you have a strong discovery flow and you have a customer story. I mean, there's, you could drop me in a minute, like you just name the meeting. You're at least going to get something out of it and you're going to be in a you know, pretty good spot. So that's a, that's like the beginning, uh, non-negotiables, like the, um, just the ticket for admission is just those pieces. So, um, yeah. Now, so this, as Ruby goes and buys new, acquires new companies and it puts more demands on people that have sales reps that have been around, some of which have even been successful, maybe even some of your senior reps. How do you make sure that this, that those people are not only maintaining, but evolving their skill set and their knowledge? That's a good question. Um, I try, I try. Yeah, I don't know if I, decent questions. I don't know. If I, you don't hear that. You don't hear that a lot, do you, Johnny? No, I don't. <laughs> That's good. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think, I don't know if I think about junior and senior reps. Um, or strategic reps versus what I mean, there's certainly people that are much earlier in their career where they're like a sponge and they're just open to, to, you know, to kind of whatever you say. But I think the folks that are, cause I like to have considered myself at different points, a senior rep, you know, and, um, man, I, I don't know. I, I was open to, to learning stuff and to trying things. And so I look at it as more of, do they have a desire to learn? Do they have a desire to put the work in, to get better, to, to practice something and I think we can all learn something. I, I always say, like, I've taught the champions class probably over the all the different companies, and I've combined it with what I've sat in. I think every it's the most fun thing to teach. And every time I teach it, I learn something new. I, okay. I learn something new about even what, what I say or what someone gives me or a question they give me. If we're if we're really students of this, like I, I try to tell everyone, like, whether you, whether you thought it when you were eight years old, like you know, running around with your cape on your back or whatever. 
You're a professional salesperson. This is your job. This is your livelihood. This is what you, how could you not care about getting better? Like, right. like it's it, a like, mindset. Really it in. So it's I, a mindset. I, don't, I don't know if I, I, now the reality is if they're people are great at stuff, man, I want to use those people. They, they either might, uh, if they're a rep, they might start to show a trend to get in the leadership. Um, we're actually taking people on my team now that either have been reps and or leaders and actually putting them in a spot where they get to do probably a year's worth of coaching in, in three months um, and get a ton of practice at doing that and then go back out you know, into the role. We've had five people so far on the team uh, come in, spend anywhere from six to 12 months and then go back out into bigger jobs. Um, which is pretty cool. That's really they're, important. They're getting better at the coaching. In fact, we've had one, he reached out to you, I think two days ago on LinkedIn, uh, John, Brian Zissel, that uh, we've talked about him a little bit before, um, where he was an individual contributor and he's now running our our mid-market team. And he had spent the last six months uh, coaching and developing, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, we've had n- numerous folks do that, which is which is kind of a cool thing. So do you think the quality of the training program at Rubric has become a, a recruiting tool? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm on a lot of recruiting calls. Uh, I was on a couple of interviews today. Um, so I definitely get added and, and my team does. We're part of the process um, at the end of the process when we go through the last piece that we do, um, mainly because they're going to get to know us once they come in. But but I think the the best flattery is when the leaders talk about us. Um, and if the leaders say that, Hey, this is different. So if you want to come here to learn it almost like it is, it helps them qualify. Like if you, this is who it is and this is what it is. So if you want to come and get better and you want to come and really get developed, there's no better place to do it. And so that, that's definitely a, a feeling I think throughout the org, um, which is, yes, honestly, it's, it's one of the the coolest parts about the job, um, to, to, to experience that. Cause then you, you're actually thinking you're making a difference, you know, with folks. So I, I do think it's pretty different. Um, yeah. and I, think I got uh, one more question for you. Okay. You talked about the fact that you have, I think it was seven different people that actually do in the field training. Can you talk a little bit about how that works? Yeah. So the people that are on the team, so I have, uh, I have some amazing folks, by the way, um, two folks that were in the enablement team when I got here, uh, David Kwan and Britt Coakley, they were, one was the first SDR, one was an SDR and inside rep, and they were in the enablement team. When I got here, it was like, they just, I mean, they're awesome. They just, they, they now are helping coach reps and leaders, um, which is really, really cool. So between them and the folks that I have, like Catherine Miller from, you know, from the UK, it was a second line leader who came into the team. All those folks that are on the team teach the classes. So uh, if you know, like a, like a training. But I thought you talked about these people actually going into the field. And yeah. So they were on sales calls. And yes. So here's what happens. They actually, uh, we do a train the trainer on the classes. They teach the classes. And in the week between the teach and the validate, they're actually in with the reps, in with the leaders. And then from the leaders, they might get attached to another rep. They might get attached to another deal. And we've had them uh, for sure even go on sales calls, help prep for sales calls. Um, they're very involved in the field, but it, some of it stems from the classes. Some of it stems from the one-on-ones that we have with the leaders and some we can kind of get through a combination of that, that we find ourselves on the teams because people end up calling us having conversations with me and I'll point them to one of them and then they'll go dig in. And so many examples of them helping do PG, um, actually writing emails, actually making phone calls. I think the example 
you know, that I gave you was um, literally doing the prep with someone who, who was a younger rep, putting together the custom slide. The rep did a good job of getting me with CTO, had never really done that kind of a meeting before. And the individual on the team actually not just built the slide and helped him with it, helped prepare. The, the rep was a little bit nervous to do it. So Brian said, I'll do it. So he went on the call with him and actually showed him doing it. And then they came back off and talked about it. And now that rep is, you know, is flying. So we've, we'll go as far as we need to go, um, you know, in the field, which is pretty cool. It's pretty neat. Good. Gap? Well, I, I just want to say to you, JP, um, I have such an affinity for what you guys are doing at Rubric. Um, you know, you're taking knowledge and skills and you're turning it into impacting the character of an organization that believes what they do matters because you gave them the point of view. You help them stand in the mo uh, moment of pain for customers and they know that what they do for a living matters. And in a time where, uh, you know, tough economic times, you know, people cutting back on training because they look at it as training. You haven't talked about training today. You've talked about enabling your people uh, to go do incredible things. And you've mentioned it a couple of times, extending it to the partner community because you have those frameworks involved. So I just want to say congratulations. It's great to see you and uh, keep doing what you're doing, brother. It's great to see you. And just real quick on the enablement thing and the naming of it. So uh, when I talked, I remember you and I spoke a lot before I took this, you know, before yeah. I, I talked to Grant, you know, Grant Wilson a lot. Yeah. Um, at one point I was talking to Grant about the things that we were doing. I was explaining to say the data, I was explaining these different pieces. And he said, you're not enabling, like you're not just enabling, you're transforming, yeah. you're doing sales transformation inside of the yeah. company. And so, you know, for what it's worth, that's actually what we call our team. We call our team sales transformation. Uh, not enablement. So like, uh, that, that was, that was you and Grant. And I think it's, it's a lot more in line with what, um, you, with what goes on. So it's cool. Love so it. thanks for everything. My pleasure. Well, JP, I think that, you know, for me, I've always said that enablement is the greatest leverage of a dollar in a company, but so many CEOs just don't really back it up. You know, they think it's like a, a big cost and they don't understand what they really get out of it. But if you just think about, you know, increasing productivity of, at $100,000 more across two or 300 reps, the amount of dollars that you pull in, that just masks the cost of any enablement program, especially when it's done right, like what you and Brian are doing. So you guys need to be commended and people should be commended for, you know, allocating those dollars towards making a great enablement program. Because also, like we talked about, that that's going to be an amazing recruiting tool also. Yeah. No, even more than the productivity, the A players and the people that want to learn, they're going to, they're going to show up at your door. We, uh, our, our theme at SCO last year, which will continue this year is, is love the work. And, um, if you've met Brian, you know, he's about love and yeah. uh, somehow I'm about work. <laughs> I don't know, but, but love the work just seemed to fit. But the reason for it was we want people that, that love the work. We want people yeah. that, that get dirty. They want to learn that, that they want to be here to get better and grow. So, Love the work is kind of what our, it's that and focus on the early stage because that's the stuff that no one wants to go. Not everyone's a genius and, you know, in those, uh, that part of the sales cycle. So if we can focus on those two things, really digging in, doing the work and loving that early stage and really digging into that, that's, uh, that's where we're focusing. So. Thanks again, JP. Appreciate you doing this. Thanks for having me. It was a blast. Yeah.
Yeah. Well, thanks to JP Bolin, my friend, Johnny Kaplan. And thanks to everyone for listening to another episode of the Revenue Builders Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com. 